think that we can all agree that storytelling done well is incredibly powerful. And it's easy to think that a story is a mere recap of an event, right? But according to Matthew Dix, a great story, one that moves people and ultimately changes us, is anything but a recap. Matthew Dix is a world-renowned and award-winning storyteller and the best-selling author of Storyworthy. Luckily for us, he has spent many years researching the art and science of how to tell a great story. So what is the most critical ingredient of a great story? And how do you know if a particular story is actually worth telling? My name is Dr. Amantha Imba. I'm an organizational psychologist and the founder of behavioral science consultancy Inventium. And this is How I Work, a show about how to help you do your best work. On today's My Favorite Tip episode, we go back to an interview from the past and I pick out my favorite tip from the interview. In today's show, I speak with Matthew Dix about how we can all get better at storytelling. When someone is sharing a story with you and you're identifying all these different opportunities for that story, what's the process that's going through your brain when you're kind of analyzing the story content and thinking about its, its different opportunities for um, being applied? I'm always asking myself, what are they saying beyond the content? Like, what's the, you know, what is the overarching, if we remove all the content away, what were they really trying to say? You know, fundamentally, a story tends to be about change over time. So what is the change over time that they're trying to describe? You know, there's a story I tell to my kids all the time that I recently sort of explained this well. When I was in kindergarten, a boy named John Fox disappeared during indoor recess. Like the recess ended, everyone came back to their seats and John was not in his seat. And, you know, the teacher was like, well, maybe he's in the other classroom, the other kindergarten classroom. So she went next door. Mrs. Dubois could not find John there. She called the principal back then when you had to like press a button and talk on an intercom. So everyone heard the conversation. So, you know, I heard her going, Mr. Hartnett, we can't seem to find John Fox. Maybe you could make an announcement. They made an announcement in a school. I could see the level of stress rising as they couldn't find this boy. I saw the custodian outside sort of wandering around the playground looking for him. And then we heard a scream and it was a girl named Kim who had opened the bathroom door to the girl's bathroom and found John Fox in the girl's bathroom. What he had done is he had gone into the girl's bathroom by accident, realized he was in the girl's bathroom and could not get himself out because he felt foolish and he was afraid he was going to get in trouble. So even though he could hear himself being called on the intercom, he couldn't get out of the bathroom. So I tell that story to a bunch of teachers recently. And then I say to them, when children and especially boys get angry and they shout at us or they slam something or they put their head down or they charge out of a room, what they've really done is put themselves in, a, in the bathroom. They've put themselves in the bathroom and they've trapped themselves there because to get out of it, they can't walk back in and say sorry because that's a threat to their ego and they're just not old enough to deal with that. And we can't win a power struggle with them. We can't say like, pick your head up. You're going to pick your head up and you're going to listen to me right now. You're never going to win. So as teachers, we have to find ways to get kids out of the bathroom after they put themselves in. So I just recently had this boy, he got mad at me. I said, close your laptop. He threw his headphones down, he slammed his computer and he put his head down. And I knew he was now stuck in the bathroom, just like John Fox. And so I gave him a little bit of time 
And then I walked over to him and I said, listen, I know I'm really boring and I'm putting you to sleep, but I need you to pick up your head eventually because you can't sleep in class. And then he looked up and he smiled and he said, you are boring. And I was asleep. And I said, I know, but I need you to be awake now. And I walked on, I got him out of the bathroom, right? So that is a story now where teachers use that phrase. They say, oh, I got, well, I got a kid in the bathroom right now. I got to figure out a way to get him out of the bathroom. As I'm telling them the John Fox story, though, they have no idea what I'm talking about, right? So what I'm always thinking about at the end of a story is what was I really saying? In the John Fox story, I am saying we get stuck in places sometimes and we need help getting out. Right. So strip away all the content and ask yourself, what is the story really about? And oftentimes, once we strip the content away, we can say it in a clear sort of feeling or meaningful or insightful or realization kind of way. And that's how those stories can be powerful for us. Let's now break that down. Like, what is your process for crafting a story like the one that you just told? Maybe let's start by firstly, how do you even know if it's a story worth telling, if it's one of those 10 percenters? Well, a story in the end is about change over time. The problem people have is they think that stories are reports on their life. You know, in the worst version of a story, someone's going to tell you what happened to them, but they're just going to be reporting on the events chronologically rather than sort of crafting any meaning. So when I'm looking at that 10%, what I'm looking for is moments in my life where I've fundamentally changed in some way. You know, those changes are either transformational, meaning I used to be one kind of person and now I'm another, or more often realizations. I used to think something about myself or the world or my wife or kids or the planet, and then some stuff happened and now I think differently. And you don't have to think very differently. It can be a very small change. Small changes are beautiful. People believe in small change. And so that's what a story is. So when I'm looking for a story to tell, I'm always starting at the end because I'm looking for these moments where we suddenly shift, where we feel our heart or our mind open, the, the hair on the back of your neck stands up. You just get that feeling of, wow, I think differently than I did a moment ago. Those are the stories that mean something to people. And all you have to do is watch a movie, watch a television show, go to a play, all the great stories of the world, all the stories really of the world are about change over time. Even the stupid movies, ultimately we're starting with a character who has some flaw or some need or some problem. And by the end, that flaw, need or problem will be solved to some degree, maybe not all the way, but you know, you can watch a movie or read a book and within the first 15 minutes, you can tell what the end is going to be, not with specificity, but you can look at it and go, oh, this is a guy, he's divorced and he's not getting along with his kids and he hasn't figured that relationship out yet. And at the end of the movie, he's going to have that relationship a little more figured out, right? We just know it. It's, it's, it's very, it's instantaneous if we really put some thought into it. But oftentimes we're lost in the story, which is a beautiful thing too. If you enjoyed this extract of my chat with Matthew, you might want to go back and listen to the whole interview, which you can find a link to in the show notes. If you're looking for more tips to improve the way that you work, I write a short fortnightly newsletter that contains three cool things that I've discovered that help me work better, ranging from software and gadgets that I'm loving through to interesting research findings. You can sign up for that at howiwork.co. That's howiwork.co. Thank you for sharing part of your day with me by listening to How I Work. If you're keen for more tips on how to work better, connect with me via LinkedIn or Instagram. I'm very easy to find. Just search for Amantha Imber. 
How I Work was recorded on the traditional land of the Wurundjeri people, part of the Kulin Nation. I am so grateful for being able to work and live on this beautiful land, and I want to pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. How I Work is produced by Inventium with production support from Deadset Studios. And thank you to Martin Nimba who did the audio mix and makes everything sound better than it would have otherwise.